Are you ready? Great. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Cool. I'm really bad at these things, but okay. It's okay. Sure. So, so are we. Fine. We're just, we're all learning together. We're all friends here. Yeah. All right. I know what, if just, anything happens, we can, we can always fix part. it in post. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Fix it in post is our motto. That's the beauty of this. <laughs> Excuse okay. me. That was my Shake Shack burp. <laughs> Whoa, Shake Shack burp? Yeah. Well, I, I was really Is that a new band name? The bus. Shake Shack <laughs> New band name I call it? Do you call it? I call it. Do you call it? Yeah, I call camp. it. Is it taken? <laughs> Hey Mel, can you search um shakeshackburp.bandcamp.com and see what's up? I just wanna stay home and play my songs with my friends. That's me. Yeah. 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 Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lauren. We play together in the band Coping Skills, and in that band we realized that we just really like talking to each other in front of an audience. So this is us here right now, talking to each other, and you are our audience. Thanks so much for being here. This, this is, is More Talk, talk Less rock. rock. Should we call Mel? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should call Mel. <laughs> Mel Grinberg is only 24 years old. But she's already done it all, or close to it. Talent buying, marketing, event production, tour management, merch, VIP, day-to-day management, and more. As a Philadelphian, she's worked for CODA, The Fillmore, World Cafe Live, R5 Productions, and Alternate Side. She's been on production teams at See Here Now, Riot Fest, Made in America, and the Philly Thanksgiving Day Parade. In just a few years, Mel has successfully worked her way up from multiple internships and assistant jobs to the two main positions she holds today, talent buyer at her co-owned booking company, Home Outgrown Presents, and VIP manager and production assistant for Cave Town. But we're not interested in continuing to wax poetic about all of Mel's accomplishments, incredible as they are. Instead, we're bringing her on the show today so she can do that for herself. Hello, Mel. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for being here. Hello. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How did you like your introduction? Uh, it was very uncomfortable to listen to, to you talk about me. <laughs> Actually, if yeah. we're gonna, I feel like we've built enough of a friendship that I can be honest. I w- yeah, I want <laughs> that, nothing that, but your weird. honesty. Yeah. It was it was weird for me. Was what was it weird, weird about it? As it was for you. Um, I don't know. Well, tell me what was weird about it for you. Let's get into um, it. You know, I, I, it's it's very weird to have someone just like read my resume out loud back to me. <laughs> yeah, is it weird it. because you're not used to thinking about all of the things that you've done in like four years? Yes, I guess it's a short span of time. Yeah, it because right it now I'm sitting on my couch doing nothing. Yeah, but that doesn't. What... <laughs> but it's, it is a Sunday night, my guy. Yeah. And it that is doesn't negate for us. Such a, such a juxtaposition. <laughs> that doesn't make, negate all those things you've done. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's definitely weird to just hear someone list all the things you spent uh, your waking hours doing for the last four-ish years. Has it been about four years? Was that a good guess? Something like that. I, I think, how, when did I graduate college? 17, uh, maybe? 2017? Was it 17? Yeah, four years. Four years-ish. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, when did you decide that you wanted to do all of these things that you have done in the past four years? What was, like, the origin of all of this for you? Um, I mean, I liked music a lot when I was, like, growing up, uh, when I was in high school. Uh, You know, just doing, like, like going to choir and theater uh, after school were that and like the art classes were the things that I actually enjoyed and was somewhat good at um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to all the other stuff. Um, I don't know if I really like knew that what I wanted to do until I was like maybe 18 ish. Okay. Um, Like maybe a year or two after I graduated high school because I graduated, I was still 17 um, because I didn't turn 18 until like August after I graduated. Right. Um. So, like, I don't think I necessarily, like, knew what I wanted to do until I was, like, like a year maybe or two after uh, graduation. Um, 
and I think I figured it out because I had like hurt. I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do with my life. I hate everything. Um, what were like doing had, right after uh, high school? Yeah, I'm like not good at anything. I didn't think I'd make it this far. Um, it's <laughs> shocking that I graduated high school at all. So it's like my mom was like, "Well, you you can't get into a real school, uh, so you're gonna go to community college and just go get some good grades and figure it out." Uh, so I went to community college for like a year or two, or for two years, not a year or two, for two years. Um, and I guess I, after like the first year, I realized that there was like music industry college programs. Cause I think I had heard someone went to one. So I think like not even a year, like shortly after I started going to community college, st- I started formulating this plan of like, get good grades, go to school for music business, uh, you know, good, keep going, whatever that means. Um, and like back then I didn't know what any of it meant. I, I didn't, I was like, I guess I'll be an artist manager, uh, <laughs> not realizing that there was just like, I guess I'll be in charge. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't not realize that there is like, obviously a ton of other things that you can do in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, I had started taking, like, I, I guess I just started taking like the music classes and like whatever courses you needed in order to transfer to UArts. Um, and I was just like, all right, I guess I'm guess I'm gonna do this now. Yeah, I would I guess I would say like a couple months into starting like community college was when I started figuring out like, okay, well this is the plan to get to uh, a music business program. And I took like a music uh I think I took a music business class in community college, um, and like guitar classes and stuff like that. Just like formulated a little plan with my mother on how to get, get the end goal, how to get to the end. What kind of classes were you taking before you realized that music business classes not only existed, but that you could go to a different school and major in that as a whole career path? Well, I started taking, I don't really, like, I don't remember necessarily exactly when I, like, figured it out. I, but I started out by just taking, like, the electives. Um, not electives, but no, nah, what are they called? Like liberal uh, arts like, classes? Yeah. Like the core classes Your, that you yeah. have to take no matter. Yeah. yeah, the normal classes that you have to take for no matter what degree you're going to get. Sure. Um, so I started out by like taking those my first semester or two. And then I think like my my second year, I took a lo- I took more, still more of those classes. But I took like, I think I took like a women's studies class, stuff that could easily be transitioned to an art school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took a music business class that I really, really enjoyed. And I remember my prof- my professor being like, you're one of the only people in this class that I think is going to actually do anything with this. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then I did. And that was nice. <laughs> you, did a, you did enough with it for everybody else in the class, I think. Yeah, truly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was it was it was cool, though, because that class was like, like, we learned a lot. But also, I, I was like, oh, I get this. Like, this is good. And then I ended up getting into UArts and my teacher made me stand up in front of the whole class. And like, he was like, all right, well, Mel's going to get up and tell everyone her good news. And I'm like, oh, my oh, God. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, we're 19, 20 plus years old. We don't need to do this. Mom, you're embarrassing me. Um, yeah. He, he, but he was like so proud. It was really yeah, cute. That's pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. Did I'm you, sure he's um, still proud. <laughs> um, did you always kind of want to go more the like managerial like production kind of route did you ever have any interest in exploring like playing music or you know recording music or like any other like facet Um, of the industry I went through a lot of different like ideas of what I wanted to do I originally always like thought I knew what I didn't want to do so, like, at the beginning, I thought, I was like, I don't want to be a booking agent, ever. <laughs> and then I ended up helping some bands book some tours. Um, from the beginning, and, and now I realize once again that I don't want to be a booking agent. Life is really cyclical. Um, <laughs> we're it, right it, back to where we really started. Is, yeah. It is a phase, um, Mom. So, here we are. what did you think you wanted to do then? Just I event I production? tour... Okay. And work, do like production, uh, you know, like fe- work in festivals, work at a venue, 
uh, like live music stuff, not like management, not marketing, not label work, uh, nothing. I didn't want to, I, I didn't think I wanted like a typical like music office job. Like I wanted to work in a venue. I wanted to work in the live music aspect. Um, I pretty quickly narrowed out that like, you know, I, tr it was true that I didn't want to be a booking agent. Um, and I still don't, uh, uh, major respect to, to, to those who do it, but it was fun while it lasted. Um, and I also, uh, from the beginning knew I didn't want to do marketing and then I did it. And now I definitely know I don't want to do marketing. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that was a surprise to me was that I really enjoyed working at a, at a management company. Um, I think I ended up there in a different way than most people end up in management, which is like they pick up a band when they're when they don't know what they're doing and the band is like a baby and they just like do stuff that isn't necessarily anything that a manager really needs to be doing for a band that small. Right. But they're helping out. But they're helping out and like everyone's helping each other learn. Um, I think that's also a lot of the way that people start touring is that they just like go start going out with a band that like do you really need an, an extra person in your van no mm. but they're there so they're helping and that's how you learn like that's how I learned um but my getting into management was me like basically going being offered a job at an existing uh company that was already managing artists because I had been already working with them uh, like as a tour manager and a lot of the things that like a day-to-day -day manager does is like what a tour manager does except without being on tour mm -hmm. um how much of the, the year would you say you spend on tour now versus being at home last year I think I only spent like between 80 to and 100 days on the road only mm -hmm. <laughs> only um maybe was it I can't only like something like that 25 percent of the year yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 80 I would say like 80 days I could count, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> I did for myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, well, you know what? When I start count, well, uh, so the one big tour I did this year was like six weeks, and that's yeah. already forty. So it was it was already like forty something days. For sure. Um. So that was that's half right there. <laughs> and then we did ten days in February, and then another two weeks in June, mm -hmm. and then another like sprinkling here. I think I think it was more like eighty. Yeah. Um, the only reason I really counted is because I, I knew it would be half the year, and it, I think it was one hundred and seventy nine yeah. days well, or something. Well, for Just you, insanity. that was like that was like your main. You know, that was like the main thing that was going on. Well, it became I, the main thing. Like, yeah. yeah. For the first half, almost half of the year, I still had a job at home, and yeah. it wasn't until May that I started like actually touring what could be considered full-time yeah consider that full-time yeah it, it, i would <laughs> say it's full-time <laughs> yeah it is now full-time <laughs> which is great that's awesome it was the goal it was the dream this that's year that's the goal that to happen you, you, and... you did it sure did um sure. yeah and i think like this year is gonna be way less than that unless uh something comes up that i don't already know about is that because um, bands that you're working for are off cycle as far as i know no one is doing like a none of the my steady bands or have anything like long coming this year so i'm kind of like floating right now in an ether of like i i vaguely know when my next door dates are gonna be but there's nothing that's more than like a couple days that's floating out in the ether right now that is like would be for me and I'm oddly calm about it <laughs> you calm <laughs> yeah like it's fine they'll come when they come you know yeah like <laughs> what am I what am I, what am I gonna do not gig yeah well circling back to you mentioning not being as interested in being a booking agent anymore I want we wanted to talk to you about um, starting Home Outgrown presents your booking company, and it's mm -hmm. it's interesting that are you saying that's something that might be on the outs, or that you want to take a break from, or where are you at? No, I'm just not a booking agent. You're a talent. We buyer. don't book. Yeah, we okay. don't book tour. No. Would you explain no. the difference between a talent buyer and a booking agent? Uh, the booking agent books the tour and talks to talent buyers in specific cities, and then the talent 
books the one show in the city where they work. And so what do you like about talent buying versus being a booking agent? I like, I mean, some shows come to you and they're already like a package and they're, and they're done. Um, but I like the, I like the, like, I guess kind of creativity that goes into like a, a good bill. And I like the feeling of like seeing the room fill up be- and like, I just think it like booking the shows specifically themselves is more personal than booking like a tour overall. Um, totally. And I, I just, I like the outcome of producing a single event. Uh, it, I like the satisfaction of, of that one specific show and actually physically being there to see room fill with people because of work that like myself and Alex put in. Um, would you kind of explain the size shows that you're talent buying for and what the process is for you to set up a show? Yeah, uh, we do, I guess the biggest shows we've done would be like 200 cap. Um, and then we've done some shows that end up being like two nights in a row of that capacity. But basically an agent or a band booking their own tour comes to us, the talent buyers, and we uh, look for the, we book the room um, and then sometimes we will book the local acts or uh, sometimes they'll already be chosen by the agent or the bands. And then we do all of the, like, we make the Facebook event, the ticket links, um, take and take care of actually, like, staffing and making sure the show goes on advancing the show which um is uh when a band reaches out to you or you reach out to the band and give them all of the information that they need for the show in advance like everything from working to wi-fi to uh how much is in their hospitality budget if if anything green room information you know what kind of amenities the venue has uh stuff like that so we basically from booking the venue itself through like putting the show on various people on our team or on a venue's team are taking care of everything from there. What uh, led you to want to create your own talent buying company versus like maybe working for, you know, a talent buyer at a, you know, at an established venue already or, or something like that? I mean, I'm still not above working for a, a a venue if someone <laughs> if one wants to, to let me like sure um I was just like doing it like I was like booking house shows and I was like booking shows with someone else and then I was just like I wanted to start my own thing um and I did it on my own for a little bit and then I wanted like I wanted to actually start like a like a do it for real under a name um and so I found Alex, uh, or Alex found me. I don't know how that really happened. You found each other. <laughs> <laughs> we found each other. It was beautiful and serendipitous. We were um, in a field of flowers, <laughs> skipping <laughs> yelling along. at each other, uh, arguing as we do. No. Um, <laughs> you guys <laughs> arguing? never argued. If anyone listening knows Alex and myself. Shout out um, Alex Northrup. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Alex. I love you. We fight all the time. Just fun, I think. A really um, great old married couple. That is yes, not a couple. That's not married because Alex is getting married. That's true. Um, <laughs> just so everyone knows. Anyway, um, yeah, so we were like, cool, let's name it. And then we did it for a little bit just to like uh, with a name. And then one day we were like, you know, we've, we have, like, money flowing in and out, and we need to put up, like, ticket links, and you can't really do that without uh, giving them, like, banking information and tax info. Mm-hmm. So we were like, oh, we have to be a legitimate company now. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally, we like, it was, mo- it was honestly mostly because we were like, oh, shit, we can't keep running these finances through our personal finance. You have, like, <laughs> LLC status? The system scanned you. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. We, like, literally, it's home outgrown LLC. Beautiful. Um, 
And we were like, this is like weird and probably slightly illegal in some sort of way. No, I think you like, made it I, legal. I think it's, yeah, that is, <laughs> that's, that's what you're supposed it to well, do. Well, we made it legal. It's legal <laughs> now. We pay taxes. We may, we pay more in taxes than Amazon. <laughs> Not hard to. <laughs> it pays nothing in taxes. Uh, we turned a profit last year, even. Wow. And by turned a profit, I mean we had money to keep putting on shows. Um, <laughs> no one actually, no one actually turns a profit. But yeah, we just like decided one day we were like, okay, well, I guess we have to do this before one of us gets, uh, you know, a call from the IRS. I didn't know they made house calls. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still waiting for them to knock on my door. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, the IRS (laughs) will get their money. But yeah, it was was kind of just like practical reasons of like, okay, we have to do this for real. Because before that, like we were throwing 200... Uh, we were selling 200, 400 tickets and like figuring out how we were going to get the money from online to the bands and like who it, the checks was going to get cut out to. At some point, I think there was checks that were cut out to JC. Uh, yeah. My new, my new JC is n- not doesn't work for us. Like there- JC is is Alex's, <laughs> Alex's fiance. <laughs> JC is just Alex's fiance, and I'm and pretty so sure much more, Lassie. just not an employee of Homegrown. So much more. They call themselves our paid intern, unpaid intern, <laughs> not paid intern. Um, uh, Alex is our paid intern. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're all our own paid interns, but yeah. So we were just like, all right, I guess that we have to, we have to be legitimate. But also at that point, we were working with like real booking agents like it, we couldn't we like couldn't continue to just like do it like like kind of scrap it you know like yeah. it's some sort of legitimacy you can't be two yeah. guys over facebook messenger <laughs> yeah it couldn't really yeah it was like yeah, after a certain point you should yeah but i like i don't remember what the what i don't remember what the original question was <laughs> <laughs> it was just about like you know, deciding to to go into business for yourself, doing that versus you know working for another talent buyer or or working. Yeah, for a venue no, or something home like backgrounds for sale. If anyone really, really rich is listening, <laughs> um, and wants to buy us out, they so are a profitable can, business. Mm-hmm. We are a profitable bit. Uh, we are a profitable business. Um, if anyone out there is listening, we are for sale. <laughs> I'm for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it, it is nice that like not having to answer to anyone really. Like, I book the kind of sh- the shows that I want to book, and if I don't want to book them, I don't, I don't have to. Um, as opposed to like working for like a big venue, like a show comes to you. If it's gonna make money, you're gonna book it. You know, like you're just booking. There's definitely like some aspect. There, there is a huge aspect of like getting to book the bands that you like, but also you're trying to fill the room every night. So like it changes a little bit when you're. Uh, you know, a venueless uh, floating entity of a promoter versus an in-house talent buyer for a venue, and you need to fill the room and make sure the venue profits every night. Right. Sure. Um, speaking of being venueless, uh, today is January fifth, twenty twenty, when we're recording this, and yesterday was the final show ever at Everybody Hits in Philadelphia. While it is possibly the most important, at least to me, in the past five, four years or so, it is one of just many uh, DIY or DIY-leaning, independent, small, all-ages spaces that exist in Philadelphia. And I was wondering if you could talk to not only the kind of the climate around the constant ebb and flow of spaces that are available to you to book shows, but how you handle that in terms of putting on your shows. That venue closing definitely has made our lives more difficult. Yeah, it was the the literal best. We can't book DIY shows anymore uh, unless they're house shows. And if we want to book shows that the, of the size that we used to, we can only do the ones that we know are going to sell a lot of tickets because any other space that we could possibly use right now is going to cost us a lot of money. And at that point, it's not a DIY show when I'm spending like a couple hundred, maybe even more uh, dollars in rent and production costs. 
like up to, you know, up to $1,500 in rent and production costs. Like it's not a DIY show. I'm not, you know, I can't book DIY shows anymore. Yeah. Um, I can, I can really only take like 200 cap shows that are going to sell out in a room with, with a bar so that we can, you know, the venue can make money. Uh, the Everybody hits gave us and a lot of other people, like there was a lot of people who booked shows there. We were not the, but not even close to being the only ones we were maybe one percent i i would say we were one percent ten percent of the shows that got booked there you know uh yeah i mean we booked shows there i used to when i was yeah, still booking, yeah, i booked shows, booked there. shows there i booked Ruben our booked record release there. show there yeah um the best shows yeah. some of the best shows we've ever played were there the last show that we've, we've played was there we played a lot of shows there too yeah i mean that place had what three to four hundred shows and alex and i only booked 30 30 to 40 of them yeah without that space it's like yearly i mean how many shows would they have a month like that's so it's so many physically so many less shows that can happen in the city which in theory sounds uh, less exhausting but i remember (laughs) a time when i mean i remember a time when there was like like when i just got into it four years ago and that was already like the end of like the golden era of philly diy i think i caught like the the tail end of it like the last year or two of it um when things started kind of you know less shows were happening and i feel like now there's not that many bands that like can draw a shit ton of people for a show but that aren't like touring majorly and have like radius clauses and stuff like that like you used to be able to book like god i don't even know you used to be able to book like kississippi on on a basement show and like a couple you know like 150 kids would come out and pack themselves into a house and i mean like and this is not like like it's it's great for it's great for bands like that that they are touring so much that they like can't really take like those little shows anymore, but there's no bands like that anymore around here. Um, there's like you guys, <laughs> you know, oh, like we, we the- do not, we have never once packed 150 yeah, people into say, a I don't room. Remember, I don't remember when we've ever packed 150 people. We into actually, a we, we have the like- least draw in Philly than we have anywhere else. I think, I think, I, I think like least amount of draw versus like, you know, at our, at our peak, like number of shows. we. What I mean, what I mean is like, there's, there's no like household names anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think part of it is because of the way the way the spaces are now. I mean, there are, and maybe part of it is that I'm just getting older. But when I, what I maybe hear we are just getting maybe we are just getting older and we don't know about the band. Like, but I mean, like when I hear the when... words house show now versus when I was twenty. Mm-hmm. Oh, I my whole dem- yeah, I I I like I'm <laughs> exasperated by the idea. Just of- <laughs> just the thought of going to one is exhausting whereas but when i was 20 we had golden tea house you know i lived in a house that had shows that had the actual room for it not only downstairs but also upstairs i was booking all of the time we had everybody hits we had phil mocha more accessibly um we had even have that at all anymore right for now for now um and there were other all-ages spaces that I would go to that I won't go to anymore because of the way that they're run and the people who are in charge of them. And that I think is also part of it is I think part of the reason why bands aren't like popping off here the way that they used to is because they have nowhere to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like good to play unless it's a 21 up show. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of like, a vicious cycle where it's like if there's nowhere to play, there's not going to be any bands. But if there's not going to be any bands, then there's no one playing. But there's and also there's no... so many bands here now because every band thinks if they move to Philly, their band's going to pop off. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, in my opinion, just diminishes and shrinks the all-important other scenes of the world. I mean, yeah, everyone, it, it's like the mecca. But it's like... It, it, it's not anymore, you know, like where we don't have the resources that we used to. And I also think that like college kids now don't have the same mindset that we had when we were putting on shows Mm -hmm. where I think we were just doing it just to do it. And now a lot of them like go into their schools at the age of 17 or 18, knowing that they want to go into the the music business. Um, And 
they're like, all right, I'm going to book, I'm going to book house shows because it's like, it's step one of my master plan to uh, take over Live Nation. And frankly, that's not going to happen. And (laughs) you're going to book like a couple of shows in your basement at Drexel and then realize that you don't really like your house getting trashed and you're going to get over it. You know, yeah. or, or your neighbors are going to hate it. Yeah, understand yeah. you're going to get so. shut down by outside forces. You're going to you get can... threatened by your yeah. landlord. Yeah. There are a couple of there are a couple of like houses uh, now that have like some really good kids living there. And they definitely I can see that they do it because they like give a shit. And it's not just because they're like setting themselves up to like put it on their resume, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just yeah I don't know I feel like that like spark and the whatever made the Philly music scene so special um it's just not the same anymore it feels like people just don't care enough to like keep keep it going as much as they used to and I think that'll it'll come back like I think once once there's something once there's more venues, once people maybe not in any time soon, but I do think it's possible for things to like get back to the way they were. Probably not anytime soon. And this is where I put it. Sponsored ad. If I had one. Sorry, lost the happy, but the happy's back. So when are yeah. you gonna open up a venue? <laughs> uh, when a very wealthy person gives me enough money to and buys home after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, they don't have to buy home out ground. They just need to give me a lot of money to open a venue and then not talk to me ever again. <laughs> End of transaction. I would love to open a venue, but it, you know, there's, there's, it sounds easier than it is. Would you talk about what makes it so difficult? The actual profiting uh, to continue to pay a rent or a mortgage uh, on a building. Um, most venues make a lot of their profit off of bar sales um, or extra add-ons like, you know, premium seating. Um, for a space of like a small size space, um, you're not really making a lot of money off of ticket sales at the end of the day because a lot of that money is going towards show expenses and paying the bands. To keep the venue open, uh, most places have, most venues have a bar. Um, Opening a bar is hard. You need a liquor license. Uh, In Philadelphia, it is very difficult and expensive to get a liquor license. You have to, like, from what I understand, you have to petition the neighborhood, like, council for one or something along those lines and then pay a lot of money, like, it's 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 yeah, a whole they are thing. incredibly expensive and even they're incredibly expensive and incredibly difficult to get and even beyond that the liquor laws in pennsylvania are so strict that in most all ages spaces you're not allowed to have people who are under 21 in the same room as alcohol so like you wouldn't be able to walk like even if they could have a bar in a separate part of a venue that you opened people wouldn't be able to bring that beer into the space where people yep. who are under 21 or are. it would have to be partitioned so, like, the the venue that we started using now, they have a bar and we can do all ages there, but the main entrance is all ages, and then there's a separate 21 plus area at the back of the of the room that there is a, a second, like, uh, stamp or ID check to get into that area. There's, like, a separate, there has to be a separate entrance to the 21 plus area that is guarded, basically. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so that's, like, a whole other thing is like figuring out how to like let's say you do get a liquor license let's say you do open like this beautiful bar and venue uh your next step is figuring out out how to configure your space so that you don't get uh, shut down by the police (laughs) for for allow for because there's people under 21 have figured out how to drink and they're always going to figure out how to drink uh, they're, you know, teenagers are always going to figure out ways to bend the damn rules. Kids. <laughs> Those damn kids. Damn kids. Um, yeah, it's just like little things like that, like you don't really think about. And then it's like, okay, so open a venue without a bar. Uh, how do you expect to make any money? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just like things like that, like trying to figure out, trying to trying to figure out how to how to make it a multi-use space um the the thing about the batting cages for instance is that uh and i've said this before it wasn't a venue it was a batting cage that just that happened to have shows and that's because david who owned and operated it was like such a a great guy about it and wanted to be involved and participate in the community and did so and he he let us like us and other people like run wild with the with with the shows like he it was like it was like your it was like your dad leaving you home alone for the night with uh with an unlimited amount of money for food you know (laughs) but because he trusted you and knew that you would only order like two large pizzas (laughs) and a 20 liter soda and wouldn't go fucking ham with it like David trusted people who he knew he could trust yeah. and made such a supportive, welcoming environment out of that space. The amount of times that Dave would just like uh, be like, all right, I'm going to go watch uh, MSNBC with my wife. I'll see you later. <laughs> and then come back. He'd be like, yeah, text me if the, if there's a problem. I'll be back in a couple hours. Like, I want to hang out. Uh, I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Or he'd be like, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go take a nap. Call me if the place is burning down. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I wish you could both see. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm about to go way, way off topic. I wish you could both see how my dog is laying right now. Oh my God. <laughs> the way she has her head, like her neck is <laughs> turned at a like 90 degree angle. Oh God. <laughs> how what is God. that comfortable? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that space. Back to topic. Uh, that space was very special and very important. Um, we probably would have booked thirty less shows had, in our lifetime had we not had that space, and like definitely couldn't have put on the kind of shows that we did. I said to Dave the other day, I was like, I don't know what we would have done without you, and he was like, probably something more productive. <laughs> I was like, yeah, true, but <laughs> like you're. But should you have right. been doing something more productive instead of what you were doing? I don't know. I don't know. I think we were pretty productive. You were productive for the people who needed you to be. I think that's what's <sighs> important. Oh, I think you give us too much credit. We were just putting on shows. <laughs> we were we weren't curing brain cancer or. Uh, you know, doing rocket science. We were just putting Well, there's no money in the cure. Yeah, we don't need to try to... um... (laughs) We didn't invent the wheel here. We just put on some shows. But they were good shows. (laughs) I I hope that... I don't know. We're going to have to definitely figure out what we're going to do now that we don't have it. Uh, You you know, I think Philomoka opening, I keep hearing different things. Hopefully they do are able to reopen uh, and have shows. I heard that they would reopen, but they couldn't have shows. They could only still do, like, the movies and stuff. But now it seems like they're going to be able to reopen in a while and do shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're really taking their time to make sure they can do it right. Um, but it's still very, like, it's it's a lot of, like, he said, she said. Like, no one seems to really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, And it just sucks. And if they do reopen, it's like you know the demand for that room is going to be insane it's like the only there's nowhere to book a 200 cap show in philly right now i truly can't not in a a place that could also be all ages not in a place that could also be all ages and not in a place that is widely accepted as a a good place to go or somewhere you can post the address yeah exactly Uh, yeah or you know places that aren't uh deemed bad (laughs) if you if you catch my drift oh it's been caught (laughs) (laughs) okay mel thank you so much for talking about all of your experiences today we're gonna do some some rapid fire questions which there will Uh only be like four of them but Uh, okay they're all very specific and um, intentional as opposed to us just uh, riffing with you as much as we love to riff. Okay, I'm ready. Um, what's the lineup you've booked that you're the most proud of? Oh, fuck. Uh, the most proud of? Oh, mm-hmm. we book, can, I, can I look at, can I look at the yeah, lineup? Yeah, you can cheat. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I'm gonna cheat. Hold on, please stand by. I'm gonna. Okay. Well. Okay. 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 The the. Do I get to choose ones? If you have multiple, we'll allow it. Okay. Uh, I'm really proud of us booking uh that Alex G show. That was sick. Who else played uh, on that? Uh, it was um 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 um. Well, he was he was billed as Ronald McDonald. <laughs> and that was at the cages, right? I was at the cages. Uh, he like took requests. It was with Coma Cinema and Knife Play. May third. That's a good gig. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, any show we did with Caracara was always really great. Uh, obviously, any show with coping skills. Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cap- booking Captain Were Sinking's accidental last show w- was oh, very yeah. cool. We didn't know it was going to be their last show, but they called it quits right after that show. Mm-hmm. So uh, we did a, a Mom Jeans Slingshot P Daddy Kississippi show. That was like I think one like one a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was others. There's a lot. You're proud of everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. That's a great position to be in. Can't pick a favorite child. Yeah. I can't pick a favorite child. I love them all so much. What is your dream festival to work on? I think I got mine. Riot Fest. Yeah. How many years did you do Riot Fest? I've done it twice now okay. i missed i skipped one year because i was i did like a couple tour dates with remo drive um but uh yeah i would i would definitely really want to work like coachella now or like something like that because I, I i it also sounds like brutal and miserable to work that long of a festival uh-huh. but sometimes it's nice to want to like push yourself uh maybe firefly firefly is a cool one that's like pretty local any of the ones that are like in New York, like uh, Govball, right? Panorama. Panorama. Ooh, I liked Panorama. Yeah. yeah. I went like, to Govball. That was pretty cool. cool ones. Yeah. Riot Fest was the goal. I mean, and that one's kick kills, like, kicks ass every year. Mm-hmm. Um, are you prepared to be canceled for saying you want to work Coachella? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, for, <clears throat> I have thoughts. <laughs> Honestly, I think Mannequin Pussy's whole tweet response to that situation was incredibly on point and said exactly what needed to be said. Yeah, Philip, uh, whatever his last name is, and all Philip and Asshole, Schultz, mm-hmm. Philip, whatever, has about as much connection to Coachella as he does to Union Transfer. Yeah, yeah, and it's also near impossible being a touring band in America right now to boycott AEG or like as any, a whole anything else associated with. Coachella. Yes. What you what people don't realize is that Boot and Saddle is a Bowery venue. Right. Yeah. UT <laughs> is a Bowery venue. Mm-hmm. The Sinclair is a Bowery venue. Brooklyn uh, Steel. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn Steel. Bowery Ballroom. Mercury Lounge. Um, uh, all of those venues are Bowery venues. Uh, Mercury Lounges, right? Right. Am I lying? I might be lying. I no, think, it is. no, I think you're I, right. I trust you on this. All of those venues are Bowery venues. All of Bowery is also owned by AEG. You literally cannot escape it. And also, uh, as Mankin Pussy said, uh, as far as we know, they have not made donations in the past couple of years, which is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Great. Agreed. Um, Cancel me. <laughs> what are your top tips for bus tours buy a little uh buy a fan for your bunk it gets really stuffy in, inside if you're like me and you uh need optimal um environment for sleeping the bus will be your worst nightmare <laughs> um but yeah that's that's my big tip mini um, fan. good to know mini fan for your bunk because it gets really stuffy um don't be afraid to shit in a bag <laughs> oh my god! Oh, yeah. For everybody who doesn't know, you can't shit on the bus. You can't shit you just, on the bus, and the bus will not stop because you have to shit. Mm-mm. No, the bus will stop if you have a nice bus driver. Well, you can, I've, I've, you I ask the bus driver every morning, roughly around seven a.m. Really? I, You're scheduled. Will, yes, I'm very regular. Um, <laughs> and the bus driver like knew, like he, I would knock on the door, he'd be like, "You gotta stop to shit," and he's like from alabama yeah <laughs> his name is rick and he's from alabama rick. <laughs> and he says so bitch a lot <laughs> uh 
All right, Rick. He, uh, he, he, he'd be like, you got a shit? And I'm like, yeah, Rick, can we pull over? And he'd pull over for me. Um, the true yes, hero of tour. Bus drivers are underrated. You're, drive, you're hurtling through West Texas and there hasn't been a rest area in 70 miles and there won't be a rest area for another 70 miles. I think miles. the real tip here is to just make friends with the bus driver. The, the big tip is, yes, definitely be really nice to the bus driver. The real tour is the uh, bus drivers we befriended along the way. The real hero of the tour is the bus driver. He is the man who controls your pooping schedule. Um, and he is a man or woman um, who will be changing your bed sheets. If you're nice, they will be patient with you. If you're not nice, they won't be patient for you. And they'll just skip your bed if you don't uh, clear clear your shit out. Um, it's really easy to lose shit on the bus. My other tip is to keep all of your personal belongings in your bunk if you can. I mean, the big thing is just like pack a suitcase and then have like a weekend bag. Keep a week's worth of clothes on the bus in your bag. Uh, I did laundry pretty often at venues and like Airbnbs and hotels and stuff. You, you can, you can get, don't pack more than two weeks worth of clothes because you will find a laundry machine way sooner than you think you will and you won't wear them and you won't wear like i packed i overpacked so much and not only did i end up buying more clothes uh i also would just like i got i got into a habit where i would only really like like three outfits yeah, yeah. So but would... you never know before you leave for tour which three you're gonna like so you bring yeah, too it, many it, things because you don't know who you're gonna be on tour yet it's really hard <laughs> you get and then you you end up just like buying well, first of all, I bought new a lot of new clothes. Totally. Um, and also, you accumulate shirts from the other bands that you're on tour with, mm-hmm. and then you really like them, so you start wearing them every day for a week. Yeah. So, however much you packed, cut it down by like seven items. Yeah. If not more. Like thirty percent. Yeah. Like pack way less. Uh, invest in like a good duffel bag. I highly recommend investing in like a good toiletry bag um, with a handle so you can carry that shit around with you. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I would keep like some spare clothes and like my book bag and like a, like whatever my fanny pack or like my day bag, like whatever miscellaneous small stuff, I would keep it at the foot of my bunk. Easy for me because I'm very short. So I had extra space at the end of my bunk. Not everyone uh, has this privilege. But also, like, a lot of times there will be what we did on bandwagons when we had just started, like, doing, like, a bandwagon or a bus tour is everyone would pick a cubby or, like, a drawer on the bus. Um, on a bus, it's kind of hard because there's not, like, always enough Yeah, of it them. depends bus to bus and, like, how many people are <clears throat> um, on that bus. On a, yeah, on a bandwagon with, like, eight people, there's usually enough cabinets or drawers where everyone can, like, pick a drawer for themselves and keep some of their personal belongings in there big thing is is just like trying to keep your stuff condensed because it's super easy to lose stuff for sure i just realized a few days ago that a shirt that i had on my last bus tour never made it home with me no which yeah. one uh just a black button up but oh. i texted the tour manager and he said that it's in the storage unit so oh that's it's nice. all good like we have I the thought, shirt it, but it took me so I long to realize lost. i didn't have it I thought I lost uh, a, like, Bagu reusable bag, Mm -hmm. and I literally called the bus. I thought I left it on the bus, and I straight up called the bus company, and I was like, hey, can you guys, like, see if it's there? And I guess they had just cleaned out our bus, and, like, they, I like, kept all of, like, people's leftover personal belongings in case we called asking for it. Wow. Um, I'm sure that's probably thrown out by now. But at that point, she was like, yeah, we I'll go. We can have someone go check if it's in there. And it, it wasn't. Um, I, ended, I ended up finding it, actually. Oh, good. In my house now. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, no, I can't find this thing. So I called the bus company. And they were like, what the fuck is she? Why is she calling us for this? <laughs> like, what does this child want? Got to get your shit. <laughs> I wanted my bag back. Yeah, those are those are my big tips. Befriend the bus driver and keep your shit as condensed as possible because the more places you put things, the more chances you have to forget them there. That's true. Well said. And be nice to your tour manager. They they control your life. Also true. Sure do. 
Um, don't shit on the bus. Don't shit on the bus. <laughs> Just don't shit on the bus. Of all the jobs that you hold right now between talent buying and touring and band managing and, and a lot of the jobs that you've had in the past, which one do you think is your favorite right now? Oh, that's a hard choice. It's I, You're making me pick my favorite child yet. Yeah. <laughs> You know, honestly, I don't want to answer that question. I don't know. I like everything for different reasons. And the reason why I do it, uh, so many things is because I can't just pick one. If I had a favorite, I probably would have picked one. I was going to call that the coward's way out, but I think that's a really good that's, point. You yeah, make. that's pretty fair. Yeah. Actually. I'm indecisive. Yeah. I couldn't decide what I wanted to do, so I did a, a did bunch of different things. And I think it not, also... all of, not all of it, but yes, mo- uh, many of it. <laughs> Much of it. <laughs> I think it also speaks to an industry where it's hard to just have one job and sustain yourself on just one thing. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is definitely really hard to, to sustain. Oh, my dog's barking. <laughs> Maya, shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> shh, just be quiet. Uh, there are definitely people who have, like, one job and uh, are fine and enjoy that one music job they have. Like, they work at a label. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> she's going to bark. Uh, they work at a label or they work at a, a venue and that's, that's good. Fine. Uh, but I was given, I was given the opportunity to continue touring and I wasn't not going to take it because that's a thing that I really love doing. It's like, if you're given the option to not have to choose between all the things that you love, if you're lucky enough for that, then like, why not, why not take it? Thank you, Mel, so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us about your wild many experiences and all of the things that you do very well. Yeah, thanks for letting me rant extensively about things that I may or may not have the authority to rant about. That is <laughs> that is what this show is about at its core, I think. Yeah. Ranting I mean, about what... things that we may or may not have the authority to rant about? Yeah, just like talking about <laughs> things we like and things we do whether or not we are, you know, experts on them or not. Here's where that imposter syndrome kicks in, where I'm like, yeah, I do know a lot about these things, but uh, do I really? You are incredibly qualified, I would say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. That was fun. I I like talking about these things. Good. Glad you came around. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Lauren, do you know what time it is? No, Rachel, what time is it? Time to play our favorite game. Tag yourself. Uh, it's time to tag yourself. <laughs> Say it's time to tag yourself. Woo! TM, 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 TM. TM, 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 Okay, so I've brought a pair to the table today that I think is another one that seems like it would be obvious, but is maybe deeper than that. Intriguing. Are you ready? Do tell. Marlon and Dory from Finding Nemo. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think you know, but I don't. I think that I do. I'm Dory. Good what's argument. Like a, what's like a um like a PC way to say stupid? You're not stupid though, and neither is Dory. Absent, absent-minded. That's more accurate. Okay. Because <laughs> neither of you are stupid. Dory no. wasn't stupid. She literally had a a brain problem where oh, she yeah. forgot every thirty seconds. Oh, is that part of the plot? I haven't seen she Finding had a memory. Nemo in a she long had like time. A, like a literal memory problem. Oh. Where her, like, her short-term memory was completely oh, yeah. lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She wasn't dumb. She was just, like, physiologically forgetful. Okay, I do remember this now. I do remember this. Yeah. Okay. But I think we are, are I'm, I, I tend to be kind of an absent-minded person in sure. some ways. Um, But also, like, weirdly good at remembering things at the same time. Right. Let's see. Cases for, what's his name, Marlin? Marlin. Marlin. Maybe this is a little bit more complicated than I thought. Yeah, because I would say, like, as far as Marlin and you go, yeah, Marlin's a little more timid, not excited to leave his environment, very afraid of trying new things. Oh, you I know see where I mean? you're going you, with like, this. There's that... Um, and then Dory's the one who, she was like, she, didn't she like go up to the, the sharks and like make friends yeah, with the sharks? Yeah, she was like, hey! <laughs> and she was like, hey, guys... Yeah. Fish are and friends, like, not food. Went to touch the jellyfish, the little tiny jellyfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Squishy. He is my squishy and he will be mine. Yeah. Wow, Which is more of like a, like a me type 
we can do that later. Okay. Um, which is a me type activity more mm. so than a you type activity. But I'm maybe more hypercritical the way that Marlon is mm. than you are, and more like what I know is best, what I know is right. You have a little bit of like a stubbornness that yes, um, yeah, that Marlon definitely has, which I think you know also goes along with the like not liking to like leave what's comfortable leave your environment which is very me but then like that um mentality is yeah this is mm. see Mm. you thought it was clear Uh uh-huh not so easy i think my instinct is still maybe to say that i'm dory although i'm like trying to think of wow this is a real uh, head scratcher i think here let me throw something out at you okay I think when we're out in the world together, mm. I'm Dory and you're Marlon. Environment based. Yes. I see. But when we're like working on projects. In our own personal little like, bubble environment. I'm, I'm more Dory and you're Mar- more Marlon. Yeah. I like that. I would agree with that. Does that sound about right to you? Maybe I'm trying to think of this in too much of a black and white kind of way. But we contain multitudes. And we can, like, make the rules. There are no rules to this game, so we can make them whenever we want. So maybe the rules can be we can take certain situations, and then maybe the answer is different depending on what situation we're in. Exactly. I love that. I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the um, that is kind of the moral that we reach with a lot of segments that we've done for this podcast is just, you know, people contain multitudes and... (laughs) And we are people. (laughs) And we are people and we contain multitudes. Sometimes, though, it is fun to try to put yourself in a box. Just for the fuck of it. Yeah. Just because we can. (laughs) Just because we can. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I think uh, we've come to a conditional answer. If you would like to help us keep putting ourselves in boxes, you could submit your own tag yourself to moretalklessrock at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of More Talk, Less Rock. This show is made by us because, uh, who the fuck else is going to do it, you know? Nobody else. (laughs) Nobody. It's just us. Which is why we record it and edit it and write it and mix it and master it and produce it and publish it. (laughs) We do everything. All the things. If you want to give us money to do these things, you can send us an email at moretalklessrock at gmail.com. If anybody at away suitcases is listening oh i would like an away suitcase i I have an away suitcase and it made my touring life so much better so if if you want to give us some money so we can keep talking about you on the show i would love it i would love it if you'd like to send me a free suitcase i would love that too yeah if i could have a bigger one i fit like two weeks three weeks i've I've done a whole month tour in one away suitcase but uh, you know i'm on the bus tour now i would like a little bit more room just just consider it i'm lauren i'm rachel and and we're we're just happy happy to be here. here And now, More Talk Less Rock is proud to present All I Want by Shake Shack Burp. Stuck in New York City.
chat with you.